Can I encourage you to find at the end of your rows the Bible um, and go to page 1012. My name's Josh, I'm part of the staff team, and I'm going to preach in a minute uh, on the passage we're about to read, but I'm going to ask Hester, one of our young people here, to read the passage for us. We're going to page 1012. It's Mark 8, verse 34 to 38. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Shall we pray? Uh, God, I pray that you'll speak to us this evening. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is life. And I, I thank you that if we allow it to convict our hearts, that it can not only change and shape us, but change and shape our, our church and the people who know us as well. Amen. I've been thinking a lot recently about what would be easier if you left parts out. For example, family without the in-laws, FIFA without the goalkeepers, work without the commute, hot drinks without boiling the kettle, cooking without the washing up, holiday without packing, pay without taxes, port without sediment. I don't know what that means, but I got told that that's, that's a good thing. Sunday without Monday. And, and, you know, in reality, some of the things I've just said we can change and we can control and others not so much. But there's a reality, I think, for all of us that we prefer it when we can make things easier and when we can leave bits out to make things easier. And I think sometimes that can be our approach to the Bible. We open up a passage and we look and think, oh, this bit's not so challenging. I think I'm already doing that. That's great. I feel very encouraged. And then we start reading a little bit more and we realize there's something that's a bit tricky, so we ignore it and we carry on going. Or we realize that there's something that might even be trying to speak to our hearts and change and shape the way we're living. But sometimes it's easier to just consciously or subconsciously take those bits out. And I'll tell you for free, today's passage would be much easier if I could leave a few words and a few verses out of it. But we're called actually not to sit over God's word and judge it, but allow the word of God to sit over us, to sit under it, and let the word of God judge us. And so I wonder if that's your heart tonight, to say, actually, I want to know what it says in Scripture, but more than that, I want to apply it to my life, no matter the cost, no matter how uncomfortable it makes me feel, no matter what actually the challenge that is going to be from here. I've been encouraged in the series that we've been doing. I know many of you have been here for this whole gospel series that we've been, had outlined to us the excitement of the gospel, the amazing news that the gospel truly is. But also we've been given challenge and I felt very convicted and challenged in my own life about actually what this gospel really could be if we fully get it, fully believe it and fully live it out. And this, this evening I hope there will be times where you feel encouraged but I, I hope more, actually, that this evening there'll be times where we feel together convicted. Thomas Jefferson made something called the Jefferson Bible. He took a Bible and some scissors, and he started chopping up the Bible. And he, he was, what he said he was trying to do was make the diamonds in the dunghill. He wanted to part, find this perfect theology of Jesus the Christ, 
But actually, I think that if, you know, if he'd had an awareness of Jesus in the room, that Jesus would have said to him, put those verses back in the Bible. Because the minute we start taking things out, we're on shaky ground. The minute we start deciding which bits we should and shouldn't apply to our lives, actually, it's pretty tricky. If every time we read something, it agrees with the way that we think and the way that we apply it and all of that sort of stuff, and actually what we've probably done is made God in our image and not looked at the image of God to shape who we are. John Stott puts it like this. He says, We must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. And I think we live in a world now, maybe most highlighted in a city like London, where actually our culture very often disciples us better than the church does. We are pressured or even normalized into thinking that that's just how it is. That's just how we should act. And it doesn't really matter if the filter of the Bible should change that. We just carry on with what culture says or what society says we should do, be, or say. But actually, I wonder if, as a church... As individuals, as connect groups, we radically decided to say, well, what it says in the Bible is what I'm going to live out in all its fullness, even when it's awkward, even when it's difficult. I wonder how much around us would change. I wonder how much controversy there would be in our lives. I wonder if actually we find ourselves in places that we might call suffering. But I also wonder whether we see more people know Jesus in eternity. It's a challenge. And as I've prepared this, I want to make abundantly clear that all the way through it, I've gone, Lord, help me. Lord, guide me. Lord, I'm sorry. Because actually, as we've, I've gone through this, I've realized it's really tough. And I, and I don't think anybody sitting here is an exempt from some of the application from tonight. Whether you've been a Christian for 45, 50 years or longer, or whether actually you're not even sure you call yourself a follower of Jesus today but I do think this is for all of us. Let's go back to the passage, page 1012. Verse 34 says this. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So often in Mark and and in the Gospels, we see Jesus take his disciples aside and talk to them about something that he wants to explain, that he wants to take them to a deeper level. But that's not the case here. Actually, it's the crowd and the disciples. And so we're looking at people who have probably decided Jesus is God, but we're also looking at onlookers and people just kind of listening a little bit. So we've got to take that what's happening here is important for whatever stage of our journey we are on with Jesus. That actually this is something that we should sit up and listen to. Uh, Immediately before, you can look in the Bible if you want to, immediately before this, um, Peter has said some stuff to Jesus after Jesus has told them he's going to die. He's been like, come on, mate, chill out. It's going to be okay. Don't, don't say things like that. And Jesus has said something that's seemingly very harsh in get behind me, Satan. And actually, his reason he gives for saying that is that he says, Peter, you have in mind the things of man, not the things of God. And so we can also sit up and listen to this part of the passage and say, okay, these are the things of God. That might be worth listening to. That might be worth letting ourselves be changed and shaped they're the things of God that's quite a lot isn't it but it's not easy huh 
The thing that we need to do, I think, in this particular verse is to say that we're going to put the word must back in the Bible. It's not if you're the super-duper disciple, maybe at that point, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. It's we all must. Now, you might be healthy living kind of person and loving it. You might be a vegan warrior, protein shake guru, whole 30 something or other. I can't exactly remember the number. You might be all of those things, but I have a two-year-old and a soon-to-be four-year-old, and all they want to eat is cake. And when I give them cake, that's them. When I give them cake, they like me better. When I give them more cake, they like me better than my wife, and I love that. I love that moment. But actually, if that was all I gave them, in the long and the short term, it wouldn't really be good, and it wouldn't help them grow into strong and healthy people. Love demands that we help people grow into what's good for them. The first point I want to talk about is self-denial. Actually, self-denial is God asking us to do what's good for us. But it's not easy. And actually, the way of the cross and actually living a gospel sense of life, it, it isn't an easy thing. But so often we think, or maybe we've been told, that the gospel's just going to fix it. It's just going to make everything in our lives that's difficult better. But actually, when we preach that kind of gospel, we set people up to fail because the reality is that's not how it works. I had a friend in college who I invited to church, and um, she responded to what was a good gospel message, but she took from it that Jesus was going to fix everything. And actually, in the following weeks and months, when the rubber hit the road and life was still hard, and actually it was clear that the Bible was asking her to give up some things that she didn't want to give up, it was too difficult. The the choice of self-denial was too much. And so if we're going around saying it's the easiest thing in the world, we're doing people a disservice. But we can also, in all good conscience, go around and say it's the best thing. It's changed my life. Yeah, sure, self-denial can be tricky. Giving things up can be tricky. Sacrifice can cost us something. Maybe people think we're weird or wrong or whatever else. Stronger, harsher words may be used about us. That we're not in touch with culture or what everybody else is conformed to be or think. But my experience, and I'm sure for a lot of you guys as well, the restoration and the relationship depth we can know in Jesus will supersede any level of rejection that we may get from other people. Any level will be superseded by knowing Jesus better. Because life with Jesus is worth it. There's a challenge for us tonight to embrace self-denial in a culture of supposed or imagined self-fulfillment. Because carrying a cross isn't just being on a church team training day when there is a BC Sport kickoff at noon and you'd much rather be watching that. Denying yourself isn't just giving up sugar during Lent. Or coming to church, you know, one in four. Carrying a cross isn't just carrying burdens or repenting from sins. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it like this, who went on to be a martyr, said that the only reason that you take up your cross is to die on it. The only reason you take up your cross is to die on it. And so while it's true that Jesus died in order that we might live, it's also true that Jesus died in order that we might die too. Die to ourselves. 
that we might follow his path in doing that. The challenge. So why deny ourselves? Why take up our cross? How do we even find the space, the, the knowledge, whatever it might be? How do we do that? I think we need to have a new vision and a new perspective. Let's head back into the passage. Verse 35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I think the perspective we need to have is an eternal one, an eternal perspective. Living now in the light of eternity, an eternal perspective on the way that we respond to the gospel, verse 37, shows us that it's out of our hands, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. All that we can earn on earth is insignificant compared to eternity. We need to put an eternal perspective back in the Bible. Christians should push back on the immediate and have a vision of eternity. Called to be eternal people beyond the allure of secular society that can swallow us whole. And sometimes we don't realize that's happened until we've already been swallowed. Jesus' vision is to leave that little thing now to that which is eternal. Having a horizon beyond the immediate and standing with courage on eternal values rather than bowing to pressure when what so often is just a moment. Christians helping the Jews in the, in the world war um, some of them would hid, hid whole families and they put themselves and their families at risk while they were doing that. And these Christians, they must have had to have an eternal perspective because they were literally putting themselves in a position where taking up their cross meant they might die on it. And there's been some research done on some of those families that did that. And the stats say that they were from backgrounds and church backgrounds and faith backgrounds where they had to do it in the small, where they had to sacrifice, where they had to look out for others, where they had to make decisions to stand on the truth of the gospel, even when it was a little bit tricky. Maybe it's a little bit like the gym because actually they had to do small amounts of lifting to build up the muscles and the muscle memory so that when the big ask came, they were ready. They were waiting. They were ready to deny themselves, to, to take actual risk of their lives, and to have an eternal perspective on those things. If you look in the Old Testament, the story of Daniel, at the start of the story, he says, I'm just going to eat vegetables, okay? And, and I'm going to do that when everybody else around him was eating all the good food and all of the good meat and all this kind of stuff. But he was faithful because that's what he believed God told him to. But I dare say, if they hadn't strengthened that muscle at the start, I wonder how well he would have done when he was faced with the lions. Actually, we need to think right now, what are the muscles that we are strengthening? Because actually, these people live not ashamed. Today, we looked last week at numbed by the gospel. Today, actually, the whole thing we're thinking around is, are we ashamed? Are we ashamed of the gospel? These people clear, clearly weren't. But we need to have a vision of eternal rewards. It's confusing with the tempting values of our society. But if we don't learn to practice in the small things, we won't handle it when the big things come. I think the church in our lifetime will face challenges that require us to stand with courage on eternal values 
rather than conceding to what's happening in the moment. So self-denial, eternal perspective, and now a reality check. It's time to put verse 38 back in the Bible. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus says here, me and my words. It's who he is and what he says. And if Jesus is the word, then it's talking about the Bible. It's talking about the gospel that we read about in verse 35. So what is the gospel? Is it just the good news of Jesus? Yeah, maybe. But as I started with this title and looked at this passage and being ashamed of the gospel, I kind of, I was like, oh, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I work for the church. Literally living it out right now. I'm smashing it. But the more, yeah, thanks. But the more that I looked into it, the more I felt challenged about actually when I said, well, what is the gospel? And which areas of it do I feel ashamed of? I realized that sometimes consciously, but more subconsciously, I was ashamed. And so I'm standing here preaching, but I'm preaching to myself because I don't want to be ashamed anymore. And I think there's something here for us that if we really grasp this next bit especially, if we really grasp it, it could change, it could change our world. We have you know, a vision here of saying we want to see every life bearing fruit for Jesus. It's such a kind of broad, every life is such a big thing, isn't it? It speaks of revival. But actually so often we would prefer the comfort of coming here every week, singing some lovely songs, hearing a great sermon maybe, and then go home, go to work, have a nice brunch sometimes, these kind of things. But actually if we're really saying we want to see change in our lives and we want to see change in the people that we know who do not know Jesus, who without us are going to spend an eternity without God, I've got to say it's worth thinking about it a little bit more. So what is the gospel? The gospel is it's that we're all sinners, that God will judge the living and the dead, that the penalty of sin is death, that there's nothing we can do, that in his love God sent Jesus and Jesus is the only way to God, the gospel that calls us to die to ourselves and to embrace the words of Jesus. More often than not, our shame, I think, comes down to Fear of rejection, fear of other people. We'll talk a bit more about that later. I just want to go through, um, a table is going to come up on the screen as we go through it, of some, some ways maybe that the, our culture says something, the gospel says something else, and the result is that we're ashamed. So in, in, a, in a culture that encourages you to be the best you, how can we claim that good people could go to hell and that we're all sinners. We feel judgmental. In a culture that says, no one has the right to judge me, how do we believe in a God that judges the living and the dead and says that the penalty of sin is death? We're afraid to say that that might be the best news they've ever heard. In a culture of independence and how much we can do for ourselves, how do we preach a message of grace that's all about what's been done for us? We want to pride ourselves in what we can achieve ourselves. We're prideful. This in many ways looks back to what Jamie spoke about last week in the numbed 
part of this problem was independence from Jesus and the solution being dependence on him. But does our pride get in the way of that? In a world where everyone has their own truth, somebody over here can say this is true for me and somebody can say something literally the opposite and that can still be true for them at the same time. That's the culture we live in. But the awkward claim of Christianity is Jesus doesn't claim claim to be a truth. He claims to be the truth, which means if it doesn't line up with who Jesus is or what he says, then it's not true. How do we approach that in this cultural moment? We feel embarrassed. We shouldn't, but we do, huh? I know I do sometimes. In a culture of self-fulfillment, Self-denial feels weak. Or like we're not getting everything we can. I came that you may have life, and life in all of its fullness. We've got to trust that not only is the gospel good enough for eternity, it's good enough for right now. And in a culture of unfiltered inclusivity, standing on our convictions as laid out in Scripture can feel harsh, old-fashioned, awkward, maybe outdated. And we fear that. We fear that people will think we are just judging. If you look at this table and you think, I'm not sure I've really ever been in a position where I've felt this, then I want to encourage you that you might have missed a part of the gospel. And that tonight would be a really good time to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, help me. But I say for most of us here, I know for me, that a few of these jumped out. We all have different spheres. We all have different kind of what our weeks look like, which means different ones of these will be your pinch point, will be the thing where you're, ah, that's a bit uncomfortable. Definitely think that. I definitely do that. I either choose it or I can see where I've accidentally chosen it or just lived in that way. I wonder if... The fruit of being numb sometimes is being ashamed. But the root, I think, of being ashamed comes from a fear of rejection. You know, when, uh, when they do the MRI scans of people's brains, the place where physical pain comes up and rejection, the response to rejection is the same. It really hurts. Rejection really hurts. And we live in a world where we will be rejected. Forget the gospel for a minute, just in general, we will be rejected. Family, friends, job interviews, dating might be described as a culture of rejection. There's so much in our world where rejection is part of it. And so we, we get used to trying to run away from it in the worldly stuff. So when it comes to the gospel and the knowledge that we might be rejected for what it is that we believed or ostracized or pushed aside, we might lose out on a promotion, whatever it might be, we're fearful of that. We find it difficult to stand with conviction on those eternal values. But it's part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. When Jesus was rejected, he embraced the pain whilst the loving the people who rejected him. Father, forgive them. When we seek the acceptance of others, we open ourselves up to their rejection. And if other people's acceptance will build you up, their rejection will devastate you. Seeking the fear of others or the approval of them causes us, so often, to be ashamed of Jesus or even to deny him. 
Maybe for a few of us, there's a root of we don't think the gospel is good enough. I'll encourage you, listen to the first few weeks of this series. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about the goodness of the gospel. For some of us, we're ashamed that we're not good enough. That we won't be able to answer anything on that table that I looked at earlier. That we won't be able to give a good account of ourselves. I want to encourage you, give it to Jesus. So often, people come to know him, not through a great argument, but through a loving friend. We don't think we're ashamed, but sometimes we live, that often I think we live like we are. We have a desire to fit in and be affirmed rather than stand out and be rejected. So what, what do we do now? Knowing our acceptance in God more and more diminishes our need for the acceptance of man. Knowing our acceptance in God more and more diminishes our need for the acceptance of man. We look at what happens immediately after this passage. It's a passage called the Transfiguration, and it's where Jesus is shown in all of his glory next to Moses and Elijah. Moses um, and Elijah, probably the most prominent uh, lawgiver and the most prominent prophet. So when these three Jewish men that went with Jesus in Peter, James, and John, when they went with him and saw those two celebrities of their faith, and yet it wasn't one of them that was glorified, it was Jesus, they would have been, even more than maybe we would be when we read it, they'd have been like, wow. They would have suddenly had this bigger vision of who Jesus was, that he is greater He's greater. And so I want to encourage us as we look to be an individual, but also a church that lives not ashamed, that we need to have a bigger vision of who Jesus is. Provide space to let him work in our lives. Because if we have this bigger vision of Jesus and we put him up against those individual moments where rejection looks like what's going to happen, we put it up against those individual moments where it's tricky or where it hurts, The hugeness of the Son of God being on our side, working in us and through us, will mean those moments get a whole lot easier. We need to have a bigger vision of who Jesus is. Jesus modeled self-denial and living with an eternal perspective. And if you look at the ministry of Jesus, say you look at Matthew 5 to 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brings some of the most direct moral teaching that we'll find anywhere in the world. Hasn't really been moved on from. And he brings this deep level of conviction about the way that people should act, the way that people should speak, the way that people should live their lives, what they should think about. He brings all this teaching, and yet in the following chapters, he shows such compassion on people failing in those areas. You can't deny that Jesus had conviction, but you also can't deny that he had compassion, and that makes him compelling. It makes me want to be like that. If at the very base level we're saying, I want to be more like Jesus, and then let's just take this model for a moment. Because if we just have conviction, actually probably we ignore our own sin. We probably make ourselves a little bit like judge. We probably push people away and sound all of those things that we fear we do. If that's all we have, just conviction. But if we have just compassion then it probably ends up with a fix-it gospel. It's a bit wishy-washy. It's not really going to get anyone anywhere fast. Maybe if we just have compassion, we might fix something here on earth, but if we don't understand the vision of eternity, that there's something where people cannot know God forever, then we're doing them a disservice in just showing 
an earthly level of compassion. What we need to do is walk in tandem with both of them and have conviction and compassion to say, I cannot compromise. I cannot compromise on what Jesus taught me to do, to say, to be, to think, but I'm going to love you so well, so profoundly, that you're going to want what Jesus taught. If we make a choice to be that church, if we make a choice to be that disciple of Jesus, that we must take up our cross, that we must look to eternity to shape the decisions we make right now, that we must look at our lives honestly and say, where do I feel shame? Where do I not live out this gospel? The church should be better at making Christians than the world is at making pagans. We've got to call each other to this. For some of us tonight, we need to talk about accountability. Having somebody who asks us the difficult questions about the way that we're living our lives, who calls the best out of us, challenges us, doesn't just say, oh, I know it was difficult this time, you'll get them next time, to be a bit more than that, to stand alongside each other. Connect Groups is a great place to do that. To be willing to say, actually, we're about more than just my personal, go to church, feel a little bit better, kind of goes on a downward spiral until next Sunday, and then we do it all again. We can't do, we, that's what we can do on our own, right? But actually, if we want to stand with kingdom courage on these values and say, it's about the people out there and the people that I know that do not know Jesus, and that the gospel has not had a chance to change or shape, then we need to stand together. Honesty through relationship and loving commitment to one another. It takes us to support each other authentically. Are you willing to be part of that? I'm going to ask you to remain seated. I'm going to invite the band up. I'm just going to say a short prayer. Father, show me, show us, where we are ashamed. Show us where we've reduced you to mate, cheerleader, or additional extra, rather than the resurrected Son of God. Give me grace to embrace self-denial. Give us grace to have a vision of eternity and to embrace Christ as Lord over all areas of our lives, not just the parts that we like to give him, not just the verses that we like. Help us now, in this moment, to be really honest about what is tough, to be really honest about our own hearts, and to be really honest about where you are wanting to convict us, change and shape us.